Thank you for listening to this sermon from Renaissance Church located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please visit our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like to know more about how you can partner up to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. got a Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 17. Um, I believe that I know most of you, but if you don't know me, my name is James. Um, grateful to be together this morning, grateful to open God's Word together. So um, we're going to have a couple of pictures on the screen. When I was a kid, I used to love these books called Where's Waldo? Anybody else love Where's Waldo books? So they kind of looked like this. There's going to be an image here. So this is Where's Waldo? Like you would open this book and it would just be page after page of these just like crazy, chaotic, busy scenes. There'd be this huge crowd and you had to find Waldo, which is the next picture here. You had to find this guy in the middle of this massive crowd. And sometimes it was easy, and sometimes you can go back to the first one. If anyone's sitting there trying to find Waldo, I'm just going to make it easy. Um, It's really difficult to see on the screen, but he's in the top right quadrant. So uh, we'll deal with that later. But uh, okay, so you had to find Waldo. Now, books like this, I used to love them. Now they just stress me out. Like Brock loves to do like search and find things. I'm like, no, I can't. There's too many things. I don't want to find it. Like, it's too much. Um, This is still ringing a little bit. You could maybe come down just a touch. So... Here's the thing about Waldo, right? He always stood out. It was obvious when you found him. But, you know, maybe he was hard to find, but like once you got there, you're like, okay, there he is, right? So now, I'm a pastor, so I'm gonna turn the corner. You ready? Here we go. What does it look like for us to be set apart, to stand out as Christians? Because often our natural tendency is to want to blend in right? Just kind of go with the flow, not let our faith really change how we live or think. That's our, that's our, our flesh. Like, uh, you know, I, I don't want to like, I don't want to look like Waldo, right? I don't want to stand out. I don't want to be different, right? We want to blend in. It's our natural tendency to not be set apart from this world. Often we want the promises and the blessings of God, but we don't always want the sacrifice of a set apart life, So this morning in the life of Abraham, we're going to look and see how God was setting him apart for a purpose. The things that God was doing in Abraham's life have a whole lot to do with us today, with the church and with our lives sitting here in Montreal today. So our main idea this morning is this. God will accomplish his purposes through a set-apart people. God will accomplish his purposes through a set-apart people. People. If you've been with us on this journey in the book of Genesis through the life of, we've been going through the life of Abraham, and it's a story of faith and fear. Starting all the way back in Genesis 12, God made a promise to Abraham. He said, You're going to be the father of many nations. But there was a problem. There still was no child. He and his wife could not have children. Sarah, there was no kid, right? But God is saying, You're going to be a great nation. Many descendants will come from you. And Abraham and Sarah are like, Okay, but we don't see it. We don't know where it is. We've seen multiple times in this series how God has made and reminded Abraham of this promise and how the story of Abraham shows us a lot about obedience, walking by faith, and a lot about disobedience, walking by fear, making decisions out of a place that says, I don't know, I don't think God's going to do it. I think God forgot, so I'm going to do it myself, right? 
faith and fear. In our passage today, God sets Abraham apart and once again reiterates his promise to Abraham. When we start here in um, Genesis 17 in verse 1, we're going to read it here in a moment, but it tells us that Abraham is now 99 years old, right? Uh, This is 13 years after our passage last week. If you remember, last week when we talked in Genesis 16, Abraham had a son named Ishmael, not, but not through Sarah, but through his wife's servant, Hagar. They said, okay, well, we're not having kids, so maybe we'll, we can have a kid this way. It was their human solution to what God had promised them. And so Abraham has this son named Ishmael who's now 13 years old. Any 13-year-olds out there? Yeah. Uh, and and <laughs> any 99-year-olds out there? Uh, <laughs> but Abraham has this son, and Abraham and Sarah are still waiting for the child that God has promised that will come from then. So we're, you know, if we, we finish Genesis 16 and we go to 17 and there's a 13-year gap in there. So I'm going to pray for us again and then I'm going to read our, our scripture in a couple sections because we've got a lot, of, uh, a lot to, to walk through this morning. So let's pray once more. God, again, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Lord, this morning, quiet our hearts. Help us to listen to what you are speaking through your word. Holy Spirit, would you bring it to life in our hearts? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God will accomplish his purposes through a set-apart people. I'm going to start by reading Genesis 17, reading verses 1 through 10. And we're going to see what's happening here in this story. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And and God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Now jump to verse 14. It says, Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Now, if you need someone to define circumcision for you, kids, talk to your parents. We're just going to move on from there, right? Verse 1, here's what we're going to see. God appears to Abraham. He comes and he says, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. This is the ultimate moment of God defining the relationship with Abraham. He says, hey, listen, I'm God Almighty, you are not. Your calling is to walk before me, be blameless, and walk walk before me and be blameless. So God comes and appears to Abraham. 
and reminds him, this is who I am. I am God Almighty. And we also see in verse 1 that Abraham and his descendants are to be set apart. When he says be blameless, it's this idea of being separate, being set apart. That Abram is to live, sorry, he is to lead an upright and blameless life. And the word blameless here means without defect. Many of you were, if you were at the food bank yesterday, you know, we get the fruits and the vegetables and we sort through. When you find one that's like really defective, like it's just rotting and falling apart and it's got spots or it's all slimy, we get rid of it, right? But we want the ones that are without defect. We want the good ones, right? We want the ones that are without defect. Yesterday we had some very disgusting cucumbers, and so they were, they were not blameless. They got thrown to the trash, right? <laughs> but it's this, being blameless is this idea of being without defect. It's like the best piece of fruit. This is what God is calling Abraham to. He said, hey, I want you to walk before me and live a life that is blameless. Now, we jump to verse 10. What we see is, he says in verse 10, this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. So what we're seeing in verse 10 is this sign, this physical sign of circumcision. But what we see in verse 1 is the heart of this passage. It's the why of circumcision. It's, it's why God is telling them to do this, that Abraham is called to be set apart. And we see in verse 2 that it is for a purpose, to father a set-apart people. And what, we, what Abraham doesn't see and doesn't know, but what we can see looking back, it is also going to lead to a set-apart Savior. That through the family of Abraham, Jesus will one day come. The Savior will come. So God is calling Abraham to be set-apart. Verse 3, we see that Abraham, it says, Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, now he did not trip and fall. He is humbly worshiping before God. He is falling before God and his greatness and his power. This is his response. When we encounter the greatness of God, we respond in worship. Verses 4 and 5, God is again reiterating the covenant. And this is where we come to the point in the life of Abraham where his name changes. And we're going to see in verse 15 here in a moment that his wife, her name is Sarai, her name's to, name changes to Sarah. This name change reflects the covenant, right? The word Abraham means father of multitudes. And so built into the name that God is giving him, he is reminding him, I'm going to be faithful I'm going to do what I've promised to do. And God reminds them of his covenant. In verse 5, it says, God says he has already made Abraham the father of many nations. Look at that. It says, um, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And I love that. Because has it happened yet? No, it hasn't happened yet. Isaac hasn't been born yet. The son that God has promised has not come. But in God's eyes, his promises are as good as done. We need to remember that. We need to see that this morning. That as God is speaking to Abraham, he's saying, I have made you the father of many nations. And Abraham's like, yeah, but I don't see it yet. God says, it's good as done. As we continue looking through this, this section here, 
In verse 6, he says, kings will come from you. And if you are familiar with the Old Testament, we have Abraham and his son Isaac, then his son Jacob, and it goes on and on to the, the people, the 12 tribes of Israel. And later, we come to where there is King Saul and King David and King Solomon. Right, Brock? You know all the names of the kings, right? And you have all these kings that go all the way to Jesus, the King of kings. Some of these kings are good, some of them were awful. And one of them, Jesus, is the Savior King. But in this promise that God is making to Abraham, we look back at the Old Testament and see how God did exactly what he said. Kings will come from you. Verses 7 and 8, he again reminds him, God's, God will keep his covenant. God will give them the land. God had called Abram to go to the land of Canaan. He said, this land that you've gone to, that you've been in, I'm giving it to your people as part of the covenant. And then we come to verses 9 and 10. And for Abraham, the sign of the covenant is going to be two things. The first sign of this covenant is a blameless life, that Abraham was to live differently than the people around him. And the second sign was the physical sign of circumcision. This would be for Abraham and his, and his descendants a visible, and, and I'll say it this way, maybe it's not always visible, but it's provable, right? It's provable that you have been set apart through the act of circumcision. It is a visible and provable, provable physical sign and symbol of being set apart. We're going to go in more detail on that in a moment because we're going to see how this connects with the New Testament. When Paul writes to the church in Rome about circumcision of the heart, Verses 11 through 13, which I didn't read, but what's happening there is God details this for Abraham, describing that each male in his household should be circumcised. And then we did read verse 14, and here's why I read that, because it says, hey, if anyone is not circumcised, they are to be cut off, they are to be sent away. It is a serious issue here for God and the covenant that he's making, and it gives us a glimpse of the work of Christ, that anyone in Christ belongs to the people of God. Anyone not in Christ does not belong to the people of God. And if you're here this morning and you have questions about what it means to follow Jesus, there is a reality that if you have not put your faith in Jesus, you are outside of the people of God. You may be here in this room with us this morning, but your heart does not belong to Jesus. And the good news is, is he welcomes you into that with love and grace to turn away from your sins and put your faith in Jesus. But the bad news of it is for anyone who is outside of the people of God, who is not in Christ, will die and spend eternity separated from God. It is a serious issue. It was serious for Abraham. It's serious for the church today. We're going to move on. And these, we'll tie these things together here in a moment. In Genesis, continuing in chapter 17, I'm going to read verses 15 through 21. It says this, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, 
shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and, he, and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will give Make, sorry, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. At this point, I'm going to fill in the gap here of uh, verses 22 through 27. This is kind of where it becomes practical, and it basically says, okay, so Abraham went and did what God had asked him to do, and all of the males of the household were, circ- were circumcised. We come to, um, in chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, um, if you're familiar with this story, now Abraham has done what God has told him to do. He's sitting in his tent. He said he's sitting in his tent in the heat of the day. He's sitting, relaxing, and it says again, the Lord appeared to him. And you can look into this Basically, God appears in in human form to him. Three men come, and they come and visit Abraham. And in this account, Abraham says, hey, welcome. Let me make you some food. They get some food together. They gather. They sit down together, and they're eating together. And we come to verse 9, and I'm going to read 9 through 15. They, being the Lord and those with him, it says, they said to him, to Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did laugh. Right, so God knew what was going on there, right? This section here is God telling Abraham and Sarah again, you will have a son. And God gets very specific here. In verse 19, he says, you're going to have a son. You will name him Isaac. And in about a year, he's going to be here. Now, in this moment, it is a great opportunity for Abraham and Sarah to walk in faith. Like, for once, God has literally laid out the plan for them, right? A year from now, you're going to have a child. You're going to name him Isaac. I'm going to do it. And yet, Abraham laughs. And I think this laughter here is a mixture of surprise, like, oh, really? And you've got to be kidding me, right? This, this laughter is not like, oh, this is a funny, you know, this is a funny joke. It is, okay, really? Yeah, okay. We're 100, I'm 100 years old, she's 90, we're going to have a child, right? This is the laughter. His laughter reveals that he still has doubt in his heart, Verses 17 and 18, we see Abraham's doubt. He says, we are too old. It says, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. This is interesting here because Abraham is still, he's stepping back and saying, really, we're going to have a child? God, just You've given Ishmael, just let the blessing be there. Like, that'll work, won't it? This is what Abraham is saying. And God says, no, Ishmael is not the child that I have promised you. 
In verse 20, God does say that Ishmael will be blessed also. And there's a side note here. This is probably for another sermon, but I'm going to give a short miniature sermon, all right? So you ready for that? Here's what we see. God says to to Ishmael, I'm going to bless him. Twelve princes will come to him. This is interesting mirror with the book of Genesis because when Isaac comes, Isaac and Jacob, and from Jacob comes twelve sons who become the twelve tribes of Israel, and yet God says, okay, Ishmael, he is your child. There is a blessing on him. He's going to multiply. There's going to be twelve princes and all of these things. But what we see is this, both obedience and disobedience in our lives grow exponentially. And there's a principle from God's word of we reap what we sow. And when we are living in a way of putting our faith in God and obedience, there is blessing from God that comes with obedience. And yet when we walk in disobedience, there's pain that comes from that in our lives. And God is gracious and God restores and all of these things. But often we can look back and say, I still deal with some of the bad decisions that I made in the past. And again, God is so gracious and he heals and he restores. But there's a lesson here with Ishmael. God says, he's going to multiply. He's going to be blessed, right? It would have made more sense to be like, you disobeyed. That's not the blessing, but God continues to bring exponential growth even in Abraham's disobedience. Okay, that's the side sermon. That's over. Verse 21, God says again, the covenant will be with Isaac. So God is making it very clear. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 9, as I said, the Lord appears to Abraham. He says, hey, next year I'm going to come and visit and you'll have a son. Sarah overhears and she laughs. She doubts in verses, verse, chapter 18, verse 11. It says, Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. It means she did not have her cycle anymore. She could not physically have children. And she laughs and she says, Really? At my age, am I going to have a child? I don't know what it's like to be 90, and I don't know what it's like to be a woman. But I'm guessing if you were 90 and a woman, you would say, Really? Am I going to have a child? So, I don't know. That's not in my notes. These are things I should probably just keep in my head, but we're going to continue. She doubts, and she says, really, at my age, it was physically impossible for her to have a child. And the Lord, it says, the Lord overhears and says, why is she laughing? And I love verse 14, where the God responds and says, is anything too hard for the Lord? All right. There's a lot going on in these passages. Study it, read it, study it on your own. But as we continue this morning, there are, I think there are two specific things that I think we can walk away with and reflect on from our main idea. Our main idea being God will ac- accomplish his purposes through a set-apart people. First point is this. The people of God are to be set apart. In the same way that God called Abraham to be a set-apart, we as the church and as individuals are called to be set-apart. We're called to be blameless. But how? It is through and only through the work of Jesus in us. In Christ, we are made righteous. Because of the work of Christ in us, 
with God's help, we pursue a set-apart life in our words, in our thoughts, in our actions. But it starts with Jesus changing our hearts. We cannot reverse the order. If we reverse the order, we are trying to earn something or earn our way to God. If we say, okay, I just need to live a blameless life. I need to be better. It's not going to get us anywhere. It's just going to get us frustrated or arrogant, thinking we're doing okay. We cannot reverse the order because the first step is as we put our faith in Christ, we know and we believe in faith that we are made righteous through Jesus. We are made blameless through Jesus, and that strengthens and empowers us to live a blameless life. So it's these two things working together. Christ makes us righteous, and we choose obedience every day. And for Abraham, the physical sign of circumcision was a component of what it meant for he and his people to be set apart. For us today, this physical sign is no longer necessary, but what God's word points us to is circumcision of the heart. Now, obviously, that's a figure of speech. That rather than a physical or outward sign, it is the sign of a heart that belongs to Jesus. It is sal- it's the sign of salvation, a work of Christ, the work of the gospel in our hearts. This is the sign. This is what sets us apart. In Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, Paul is telling the church in Rome that what truly matters is what's going on in your heart not physical circumcision. I'm going to read these scriptures. It says, Paul wrote, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. So it is for us. Circumcision, being set apart, is not about something physical. It's a matter of the heart. This is what sets us apart, a changed heart, a life surrendered to Jesus. It's what makes us stand out and be set apart and blameless. And no longer is our faith visible or provable physically, but it becomes visible and provable through the way that we live. Through the fruit of the Spirit evident in our lives, through a life of honesty and integrity, through the ways that we react. You ever react to something and think, where did that come from, right? And we often realize, oh God, forgive me, I need your grace. If that came out, that means that's what's in me, right? But as we see our reactions to things begin to change, we're seeing the work of Christ in us. I think this, the one like um, physical, visible sign of being set apart, I would say, is baptism, right? Our baptism is a moment where physically, visibly with the church, we make a covenant of saying, I belong to Jesus. But after our baptism, being set apart is the way we live our lives. And so also, in the same way that God was setting Abraham apart for a purpose, so it is for us. Again, as the church and individuals, we are set apart to bring glory to God, to reflect Jesus. Being set apart is not just about being different or about separating ourselves from society. We are set apart so that there is a purity, a holiness, and a blamelessness in us that allows us to reflect Jesus to the world. That through the church that's set apart, our neighbors will see Jesus and the nations will see Jesus. 
The church is what God has established to be light and darkness, to represent Jesus in the world. When the church is truly set apart, and as we say here at Renaissance, loving Jesus, loving each other, and loving our world, when the church is functioning in those ways, God will get glory through that church. And this is God's purpose, that he is glorified because he is God and he knows that anything less than him is not deserving of our worship. Not deserving of our lives and not deserving of glory. So God, in his deep love for us, is seeking his own glory because he is what we need and long for. So when a church is set apart this way, it reflects and represents Jesus to the world. On the other hand, if the church looks just like the world around us, if a church is filled with sinful, hardened hearts, with selfishness, with arguing, with bitterness, with pride, then God is not glorified through this. Rather than the church being attractive to others, it actually will repel others. It will repel people to say, why would I want Jesus And God, have mercy on us, and may we repent and run back to Jesus daily, because if it's up to us, that's what we as humans will do. We will make it about ourselves. We will be be selfish. We will turn kind of inside and just like all these things, but God is calling us to reflect and represent Jesus to the world. God will accomplish his purposes through a set-apart people. We often talk about membership here at Renaissance. This is the heart behind church membership, right? For us, church membership isn't like getting a Costco card or a gym membership that gives you special access and perks. Church membership is a covenant that identifies those who have put their faith in Jesus and followed him in baptism. It allows us to have clear lines in the church of those who have put their faith in Jesus and those who have not. And when, we, the ch- and when we as the church are a distinct and set-apart people, we can then reflect and represent Jesus in the world. The people of God are to be set apart. Church, may we live set-apart lives, showing kindness when it's easier to be angry, choosing honesty when a lie might benefit us, Serving others when we'd rather do our own thing. Living to please God rather than our flesh. And you can fill in the blank there. What would you add? What would you add in your own life? What areas of your life would mark you as set apart? And let's ask God for help. Because on our own, we can't live like this. But we rejoice that this is a work of Christ, not of ourselves. Second point, second application, nothing is too hard for God. For Abraham and Sarah, what God was promising, a child, was in their eyes physically impossible. It couldn't happen. They could not see how God was going to do this. And so they doubted. Look back at verse 14 of chapter 18. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Maybe we need to write that, you need to write that on your mirror or something. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Right? In our own lives, we do this as well. We do what Abraham and Sarah have done. We say, God, how in the world are you going to do what you have promised? How are you going to provide for me? 
How are you going to help me conquer issues of sin in my life? How are you going to use me in ministry? How is my friend who is far from God, how are they going to come to know Jesus? I can't see it right now. And we get discouraged and tempted to give up. And whatever it is that we are trusting God to do seems completely impossible. And we laugh and say, yeah, right. Really, God, you're going to do that? And it's in that moment that God steps in and says, is anything too hard for the Lord? The book of Jeremiah, chapter 32, I love what Jeremiah prays. And I'm going to give you a quick setting here. In, 30, in chapter 32, Jeremiah was in Jerusalem. They were surrounded by an attacking army. They were under siege. And while under siege, God told him to buy a field, right? This was not the time to be buying property, right? Didn't make sense. But it was a prophetic sign that one day in Jerusalem, people would again buy and sell land and live thriving lives. It made no sense. Jeremiah couldn't see it. No one could see it. At that moment, everything seems bad, broken, and beyond repair. And then in verse 17, Jeremiah prays this prayer. He says, ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. This is the God that we serve. He is at work accomplishing and able to keep and accomplish his purposes. In the story of Abraham, what God is promising here, all of this, it points us to Jesus. God's promise of a child for Abraham and Sarah is directly related to God's plan for the redemption of humanity. It's directly related to God's plan to send Jesus to rescue us from our sin. Abraham can't see this, right? This is thousands of years before Jesus would be born. No one could see it, but God could see it. Nothing is too hard for him. He is able to accomplish his purposes. Let me encourage you this morning. Hear it again. Nothing is too hard for God. Obviously, this doesn't mean that whatever we want will happen and that God will just do what we want him to do. I think we know that, right? But it means that he knows what is going on in your life and he is able to accomplish his purposes. Ultimately, his purpose for you of you finding your full joy in Jesus and of your life bringing him glory no matter where you are or what you're doing, God is able to accomplish this purpose in your life. God will accomplish his purposes through a set-apart people. It seems impossible that God could take a bunch of broken and sinful and rebellious people like you and I and set us apart for his glory. But this is the gospel. This is the good news of Jesus that we need to hear over and over again that no one is too far from God. That friend, that family member, that neighbor that you would say, there's no way they're ever going to follow Jesus. No one is too far from God. Nothing is too hard for him. And it is through Jesus that we are set apart. His righteousness, 
by his grace and his mercy, as we put our faith in him, his righteousness becomes ours. We don't deserve that, but that is the work of the cross. It's the work of the gospel that we are made righteous through Jesus. We are set apart by what Paul said, the circumcision of our hearts, that we are made new. And the gospel is good news for all people that we are broken and sinful and yet Jesus gave his life on the cross and died in our place when we did not deserve it. He was righteous, did not deserve to die, but took our place, died on the cross and rose again. And for those who don't know Jesus, this is good news. And there is a welcome from Jesus where he says, come to me, turn away from your sin and put your faith in Jesus and you can be made new. Your sin forgiven. This is the invitation to anyone who does not know Jesus. And to those who do know Jesus, to those who are believers, it is the gospel at work in our hearts that has marked us as set-apart people. And it's the Spirit of God in us that enables us to live set apart. Annabelle, you can go ahead and come up and start playing. As we close, we say this every week and we mean this. If we can pray with you, if you are searching, if you want to know more what it means to follow Jesus, there may be people here that think, yeah, I'm following Jesus, but when you hear the truth of the gospel, there's a question of like, have I really put my faith in Jesus? And it is not my goal to make someone doubt, but it is my goal to say, we must be clear of what it means to follow Jesus. And we say, Jesus, you are the only way to God, and I put my faith in you, and it is not anything that I can do. It is only what you can do. We say, Jesus, would you let my life be set apart if we can pray with you, if we can talk with you, we would love to do that. God will accomplish his purposes through a set-apart people. And we pray, Lord, do that in us. Do that in my life. Do that in our lives. Do that in us as a church that we would be a people set apart. Thank you for listening to the sermon from Renaissance Church. If you have any questions about the sermon or would like to know more, please feel free to contact us by email at renaissance.mtl.gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. It's our passion to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world.